0: Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 38, Health Inequality and Physical Structure. My guests, Gracie Himmelstein, and her sister, Catherine Himmelstein, M.D., co-wrote a paper, Inequality Set in Concrete, which examines how unequal hospital facilities and capital assets contribute to ongoing racial disparities in health. Gracie is an MD candidate at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and a PhD candidate in demography and social policy at the Office of Population Research at Princeton University. She received her MA in demography from Princeton in 2019. Gracie Himmelstein, welcome to Medicare for All Explained.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So you co-authored a paper, Inequality Set in Concrete, with your sister Catherine. And I have two questions I'd like to start with. Why did you decide to work with your sister? And how did you both decide on the topic?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's a little unusual um that people are working with their siblings, but um the sort of answer to those questions actually um, sort of goes together. So my sister and I were both in medical training and sort of, you know, in the course of medical training, you go to a lot of different clinics all over different hospitals. Um, and sort of as we were moving through that, I think both of us sort of independently started noticing these these big differences um, between what types of patients were being treated in what facilities. So by that, I mean, you know, noticing that patients of different races were being treated um, in facilities that look different. And, you know, just this paper really grew out of sort of at the end of the day, coming home and debriefing with each other and saying, you know, I'm seeing this, are you seeing this? Do you think other people are seeing these patterns? Um, and, really, and really sort of being curious about that.
0: So you were curious, and then how'd you finally pick that topic? It just was so out there or something
1: yeah so i actually um this paper has been sort of sort of a long time in the making um i initially i attended a conference um and it was sort of a mix of health professionals and advocates and there was some discussion at this conference about um the term medical redlining or healthcare redlining um and sort of the advocates were saying that there was this sort of systematic um, deprivation of healthcare resources um, from communities of color. So the conference was in Oakland. And I think at the time there was um, some hospitals closing in Oakland or some movement of healthcare resources out of the community. And I thought that was a really interesting idea that sort of these parallels between what we see in healthcare and what we see in housing, where we've historically talked about redlining. Um, And so I was sort of curious, like, do we see those same sort of uh, inequality in resources as a result of healthcare redlining um, that we might see uh, in sort of housing redlining that um, sort of creates these wealth inequalities um, among people of different races in the U.S.
0: Well, did you see that?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, sort of as we went out there to to take a look at what the literature said and if there was anything um, sort of looking at this healthcare redlining question, we really didn't find much, you know, not many people are looking at, um, hospital capital. I think that's sort of, um, an archaic term. We often think about capital as, you know, sort of something from, uh, Marx or something from the 1960s. Um, but really what we're just talking about is, you know, buildings and physical resources, um, and we did we when we looked at hospitals serving patients of color and hospitals um, serving primarily white patients, we do in fact see quite large differences in um, the facilities and equipment that are available for people.
0: And what do you think was your most striking concern or important finding?
1: You know, I think that what was most striking to us was really the size of these differences, so um, you know, our is providing patient care told us, oh, you know, there's lots of folks working in these hospitals, working really hard with the resources they have, but the resources are quite limited. Um, but what we didn't anticipate was just how big those differences were going to be. Um, so when we looked at hospitals that were serving primarily white patients versus hospitals that were serving sort of the most black patients of any of the hospitals, so we said in the top 10% of Hospitals serving Black patients, we saw that the resources available for patient care were about sixty percent higher um, at hospitals serving primarily White patients. So that was that was a pretty large difference, and sort of no matter how we cut it, we ended up seeing those same differences. That was quite a persistent finding.
0: And I think your paper, well, I don't remember exactly if your paper addressed this, but I'll ask you now: Do you think those differences affect patient outcomes?
1: So with the data that we have available, we aren't actually able to look at patient outcomes. But what the literature tells us is that, um, you know, you need the resources enabled in order to be able to provide adequate care. Um, And I think that this is actually quite intuitive because we talk about this all the time in other fields. So in education, you know, there's a lot of conversation, you need adequate facilities, you need adequate textbooks in order for students to learn. We don't talk about it as much in healthcare, right? There's less talk about oh, you actually need a clean and well lit physical building in order to provide patient care. You actually need um, the resources. You need to be able to you know do MRIs and do imaging and do these sort of resource intensive surgeries to provide adequate patient care. So while the data doesn't allow us specifically to look at the relationship to patient outcomes, I do think that that's sort of an intuitive um, sort of.
0: finding that would follow. So another question, you mentioned that certain data wasn't there. Do we have any way of standard data collection for medicine, for, you know, medical outcomes, how effective treatments are?
1: Yeah, so our data is is a bit limited. Um, so the data for this study, we used Medicare data, um, and that comes from Sort of how hospitals are reimbursed for the care they provide to Medicare patients. And that's great data, but it only looks at people who qualify for Medicare. So um, in general, it's our elderly population. Um, but we don't have great data that tells us about um, sort of the state of healthcare in general. Um, most of that data is coming from sort of smaller scale studies um, and not actually national.
0: So do private hospitals have to supply this data?
1: So, yeah, any hospital that is receiving Medicare funding, they have to sort of account for um, all of the the Medicare expenditures that they're doing. So that's um, where we're able to get this data, whether it's a private hospital, public hospital, any hospital that takes Medicare for uh, reimbursement, which is basically all hospitals in the U.S. um, are required to participate in this data.
0: But what about non-Medicare patients?
1: Yeah, so we're not actually able to um, see the non-Medicare patients in this data. We do think that this study probably is representative of patients more generally, just because it's not all that usual that somebody would be receiving care at one hospital, and then when they qualify for Medicare, transfer their care. So even though this data on the... um, Race of patients served by a hospital only includes Medicare patients. We do expect that largely this reflects the population of patients served by these hospitals in general. Um, the one qualification that we might say is that, um, in general, Latinx patients are often younger um, and less likely to qualify for Medicare, so they they might be underrepresented um, in our sort of racial breakdown of hospital patients.
0: Okay, but then if they're not on Medicare, there's no standard that says that hospitals have to report this data?
1: No. Um, So, because of the way that our sort of health insurance system is set up, um, there is no sort of federal large-scale data collection for patients um, who are paying for their care via private insurance, which um, is many of our uh, non-Medicare patients. And then Medicaid, does collect some data, but that's often at the state level um, and is hard to aggregate up um, or really make any inference from at a national level.
0: Are there other findings that you think people should know about?
1: Yeah, I I think that the other thing that was striking from our study is that this is not sort of like a historical phenomenon. This is something that is ongoing. So when we looked at investment in new capital, Um, and sort of what the funding is going to be like for hospitals going forward, we also see these sort of wide inequalities between hospitals serving patients of color and other hospitals. And what that suggests to us is that not only are there these big inequalities in the resources currently available for um, care of patients of color and other patients, but that these gaps are actually likely to grow um, because of these differences in new capital investment. So I think that was also a, a pretty important finding that this isn't just historical this is ongoing.
0: Well, as we've learned, there's a lot of systemic racism that's ongoing in this country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think, you know, a lot of hospitals um have been sort of sending out statements to their staff and making statements on on social media about um you know, working against racism and supporting Black Lives Matter and holding vigils. Um, but you know, this study really shows us that these statements are not going to cut it. You know, what really we need to see is a change in actions. And um, these these inequalities in the healthcare system um, sort of require targeted interventions.
0: So, in the short term and long term, how do you think we can best address the? Um, racism that currently exists in our healthcare system?
1: So when we're talking about capital um, investment and sort of the differences in resources that we see here, that's really a product of sort of differences in um, reimbursement rates for different types of insurance. So um, in general, Medicare, our program for the elderly, reimburses quite well for hospital care so that hospitals taking um, Medicare patients and privately insured patients are reimbursed at higher rates than hospitals taking Medicaid patients, um, so Medicaid patients um, are more likely to be patients of color. Um, uninsured patients are more likely to be patients of color, and really, it's those inequality in reimbursement rates and payments to hospitals and doctors that um, makes this inequality so persistent. So, I think you know, in the long term, um, sort of equalizing the payment systems. Um, so, you know, in Canada, hospitals are paid with global budgets where um, it's not dependent on who they're treating. It's the only dependent on the, on the number of patients that they're likely to see. Um, and that sort of um, could help ameliorate this. I think in the short term, though, you know, as we've seen with the differences in new capital investments, race neutral policies are actually not going to address this, right? Just switching, to, if we switch tomorrow to a race neutral um, global budget, that's actually, we still are going to have these inequalities. Um, so I think I think we're going to need some targeted um, reparations, some interventions that actually uh, equalize these resources.
0: So what do you think is the best way to achieve this?
1: So I think, as I've mentioned, that equalizing these payment rates between Medicare and Medicaid um, would be, you know, sort of the way to achieve that. And I, and I don't think that's going to happen on its own. You know, we've talked about the Affordable Care Act and whether expanding Medicaid is, um, gonna, gonna sort of equalize these resources. And I think the answer is no, as long as these, um, sort of systemic differences exist. So I, I, I know your podcast is called Medicare for all explained. And, and I think that's an app, uh, place for me to be talking about this, because I really do think a Medicare for All system, which um, would have equal payment for all patients regardless of their income, is really the best way to address this.
0: And that would also address some of the other problems, because often minorities are in jobs that don't supply health care. So would that also help to equalize care?
1: Definitely, because part of this is that um, hospitals serving patients of color are also um, more likely to have uninsured patients. And, of course, uninsured patients' um, care is not reimbursed um, the same way that private, uh, privately insured patients are. So expanding health coverage to cover everyone would be a big step towards um, equalizing these payments.
0: So before we end, is there anything that you would like to add?
1: Yeah, you know, I think as um, providers in the healthcare system and sort of um, people who work in these healthcare systems, we often see, um, you know, statements about addressing racism as either, um, you know, an issue of retraining providers and addressing provider bias or as um, issues for outside of the healthcare system, whether it be education um, or sort of social issues. And I think all of those things are true, but what this study has really pointed us to is that there's also a lot of room um, for addressing racism within the healthcare system itself, and that if hospitals and healthcare systems are serious about addressing racism, that looking sort of within ourselves is going to be an important place to start.
0: Well, let me ask something else. What other studies would you like to see on this topic?
1: Yeah, I think you asked an important question earlier about outcomes, um, and I think that is sort of the logical next step here, is what is the role of these capital inequalities um, in generating healthcare disparities and eventually health disparities? Um, and I think, you know, down the road, that would be an interesting area to look at.
0: Gracie Himmelstein, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.